Come on, turn with me in your words to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 4 and I'm going to read through verse 9. The Apostle Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord. Come on, finish that sentence for me. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say. He said, let your gentleness be known to all men. For the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Someone say meditate. I don't know if I should get in trouble for this. Meditating does not just belong to Eastern religions or yoga. How many know that we are called to meditate on the word of God? Isn't it interesting that all, all of the other religions and practices have picked up on the power of meditating? Meditating just means to concentrate, to think, and, and, and to, to have your mind repeat that thing. And, and, and he says, meditate. The Apostle Paul says, meditate on these things. David said, I'll meditate on the law of God. What? Day and meditate. He says, these, these things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, These do, and the God of peace will be with you. Someone say amen. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject, getting your life back. Turn to your neighbor and say, getting your life back. Come on, say it like you had some breakfast this morning. Say, getting your life back. You see, because... Something that I've learned about Jesus is that Jesus is all about life. My favorite gospel is the gospel of John. I love the gospel of John because you will see that word life used throughout it more than any other gospel. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more. Right? He said that you would believe in him that you might have an everlasting or eternal life. Life without end. So Jesus is in the business of giving life, but the enemy is in the business of taking life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and and so the enemy is literally after your life and my life. And and, and I do mean that literally, but even if the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, even if the devil is not killing someone physically, there's he, 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 he seeks to destroy our life in terms of our inner life, our spiritual and emotional and mental well-being. There are a lot of people, there's this famous quote, they say a lot of people die at 25 and they're not buried till they're 90. Because just because you're biologically breathing doesn't mean that you're living. At a biological level, you can be breathing and living, but on the inside, you can be dying and decaying and rotting 
And, and, and so the enemy, if he can't kill you physically or come after you and take your physical life, he will come after your well-being. He does not want you to prosper. That's why the Apostle, Apostle John says, I pray that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. And so today, I want to talk to you about getting your life back, getting my life back. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians, and it's one of my favorite letters of, of Paul because it's one of his prison letters. He's writing it from prison. And the instructions from the Apostle Paul are not random to the church of Philippi. He's in prison, and at this point, the Apostle Paul, just to name a few things, up until this point, the Apostle Paul has been stoned, he's been left for dead, he's been beaten with rods. He's been shipwrecked. He's faced beast at Ephesus. And he's now facing the possibility of execution at the hands of Caesar. And another place in the scriptures, he says, my life is like a drink offering and it's being poured out. In other words, Paul says, I've been through some things. But let me tell you what I've learned about how no matter what you go through and no matter what you face, the life of God, the the reality of this life that God has for us is always accessible to us. Amen? And so Paul is is giving us hope that the circumstances that would typically rob us of life, rob us of peace, rob us of joy, rob us of these things. The Apostle Paul is not only giving us a spiritual strategy, he is telling us that it is God's intention and will for our life. Amen? Because you see, the enemy, and I want to build my case and then I'm going to preach like I want to. Is that okay? You see, because the enemy's strategy in our life is, see, God wants to use the circumstances we go through to set us up. The enemy wants to use the circumstances in our life to bring destruction. But I, I want to give you a thought. Because, see, very, see, when we think about how the enemy comes after us, right? So when you're reading through the, through the Bibles and you're reading about Jesus casting out demons, when we talk about a demonic oppression, demonic possession, uh, when we talk about the devil attacking us and oppressing us, very rarely does it happen in an instant. It happens over time. Okay? And the enemy loves to use circumstances. He loves to weasel his way into our life. How I many you know I'm telling you the truth? He's a snake, right? He knows how to crawl. He looks for the openings. And so he loves to look and use circumstances to destroy us. So, and so what he's ultimately after, he's after, he's after you. He doesn't want you to live this life that God has available for you. I want you to think about something for a second. All throughout the Bible, we see this progression from Moses' tabernacle to the tabernacle of David to um, Solomon's temple, the one that Zerubbabel rebuilt, and then Herod's temple. We see, we see all throughout the Old Testament, we see that God would build a place where his presence would dwell. And anytime that Israel was invaded or Israel was overtaken, 
the enemies of Israel would often desecrate and desolate the temple of God. Amen. In other words, wherever God lived, the enemy always wanted to destroy it. In fact, Daniel prophesies in the book of Daniel, he he talks about um, this this this, uh, desolation uh, and abomination that would take place. He prophesies it. And actually, did you know that when when one of the Greek kings invaded Israel, did you know that when he conquered uh, Jerusalem, one of the things he did was slaughter a pig at the altar in the temple? Because to the Jewish people, a pig represented filth. It represented abomination. You see, the enemy is always trying to destroy the place that God resides. But in the new covenant, it says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm about to preach like I want to. See, you wonder, and I wonder, sometimes we wonder... What does the enemy have against us? I'm about to tell you. It doesn't really, really, when you think about it, it's not really about you. It's something between him and God. Sorry, that's, that's the revelation walk. That's when it's like the light bulb turns on when you really think about it. He's angry at God. And so, and so, He's always tried to usurp and destroy the places where God could dwell with his people. But in the New Testament, God says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes we say we know that. But when we look at us, all we see is our frailty. All we see is our limitations. But can I tell you something? That when God sees you, he sees his redemptive calling on our life. And he says, he goes, I. I, 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 he, he's very aware of our weakness and limitation, but he says, your body, your very temple, that's the thing that I want to dwell in dwell. And so you wonder why the enemy comes after us because you see the enemy cannot touch God. Some of us have too big of a devil in our theology. He can't touch God. He's already been defeated. The Bible says that Jesus made a mockery of the principalities because they thought he had defeated. They had defeated him, but he humbled himself. And as he humbled himself, he actually plundered hell. He actually destroyed death. He actually destroyed sin. And he actually broke the back of the power that the enemy had over us. And so the Bible says that he already is under his feet. He's already under our feet. You need to understand something. The enemy cannot touch him. So what does he do? He messes with God's kids. He sees you and he sees me. And it makes him angry. Because when he sees us, what is the first thing that he sees? He sees the image of God. The first thing he sees... Is the image of God. Because you and I. And let me let you in on another secret. Every person you will meet. Today. Every person you will encounter tomorrow. Every person you will encounter in your lifetime. 100% of them are made in the image of God. Sin has tried to tarnish that image. Ruin that image. Diminish that image. 
And perhaps it did, but it could never fully take away the image of God because you and I were made in the very image and likeness of God. And when Satan looks at us, it makes him angry. So that's why he has gone about his strategy is to try to convince us that we are made in his image and not God's image. Can I preach like I want to? That's why you'll see throughout the Gospels, whenever Jesus would rebuke his disciples, he actually told Peter one time, get behind me, Satan. That'll mess with your theology. One of the 12 disciples, he will become one of the leading apostles. Jesus says, you're, act, you're being Satan right now. That should give us all some hope. <laughs> That one out of all the hundreds of thousands of millions of people in Israel that were chosen, he's one of the 12. And Jesus says, hey, get behind me, Satan. Another place, he says, you don't know what spirit you're speaking of. In other words, in another place, Jesus tells, tells them, you're just like your father, the devil. He's the, and, and Jesus says he's the father of lies. The greatest lie that he tries to pull is he tries to pull us away from the father because the enemy wants to try to remake us in his image, but he cannot fully remove the the image of God on your life. And when he sees you and me, he hates that about us. And the other thing that he can't stand is that God has redeemed us and God has shed his blood for us. And when he sees you, guess what? He not only... He not only sees the image of God, get this, he not only sees the image of God, he sees the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about it, you you wonder why God, I'm sorry, why the enemy wants to wreck our lives, why he wants to destroy your peace, why he wants to take your joy, why he wants you to be suicidal, why does he want you to feel lifeless, why why does he want you to do all this? He's trying to desecrate the the place where God dwells. He doesn't want you to have the communion, the life, the joy, the hope, the the things that are promised that come from this connection that we have from God. So what Satan does is he uses circumstances. Are you with me? I'm going somewhere. Are you with me? So what Satan does is he uses circumstances because all none of us get through this life without going through things. How many of you have lived long enough to know that? We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a hurting world. People hurt us and we hurt people. People hurt us and we hurt people. None of us get through this world without being scarred, wounded, hurt, bruised, broken. And none of us get to go through this life without trials and challenges. You know, the scripture promises us that we can be victorious and that we can overcome. But it also tells us to rest assured we will face trials. And so what the enemy likes to do, though, is when we go through circumstances, he wants us to he wants to use our circumstances to distract us and to look for relief in other things. Because if you look at any time Israel uh, 
was overrun with the enemies of Israel. Anytime they were able to sack the temple in Jerusalem, anytime they were able to do certain things, there was all, you could always trace it back to sin and idolatry. And what happens is this, is that when we, get, when we go through pain and we don't process things properly, when we, don't, when we don't get our healing from him, when we don't get our deliverance from him, what happens is this, is we, we're a lot like Israel. We end up running after idols without even noticing it. All right, can I, can, I, can I preach plain for just a moment? So, because see, the ultimate intention of Satan is he wants to dethrone God in your heart. He wants to rob the worship. He wants to rob the habitation. He wants to rob the communion. So, so if he can use the circumstances in your life, he wants to use them to, to disappoint you, to frustrate you, to cause you to become bitter, to cause you to become angry, to cause you to become resentful, to cause you to become uncomfortable, to, to cause you to literally get to a place where you will begin to seek relief in things outside of God. Idols. You know, sometimes we should, we should really do a series where we talk about how these ancient gods show up in our culture today because they're still there. And so what happens is, is that, that many times whenever we are carrying unprocessed, that's, that's one of the key words today, trauma and woundedness and brokenness and hurt and damage and pain, right? Whenever we are carrying those things, What we do, what we tend to do is, like I said, if we don't get the relief from God, we turn to something. And what happens is over time, those things actually become a God to us. Those have become the things that we trust in. Can I say something for a second? I like Netflix. But let me tell you something. Some of us trust in Netflix more than we trust in the Lord. Because when we're uncomfortable in life, when we're dealing with pain and trauma and and, and hurt and woundedness, we don't know how to run to him. So we run to Netflix or we run to Google or we run to a substance or we run to a relationship or we run to. Here's another one. When when, when we have not been able to deal with with our insecurities and our woundedness, our 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 lack of 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 worthiness. Some some of us look for it in success. Some of us look for it in money. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. All, none of those things are inherently bad. But they're terrible gods. They're terrible gods. Because whatever gods we go after, we will end up being made in their image and they will wreak havoc in our lives. I'm showing us something that how the demonic works in our life. The demonic doesn't work like the devil showing up and literally saying, hey, the devil rarely shows up in a, pitchfork and a cape and says, worship me. The devil shows up through the circumstances in your life. He shows up through your hurt and your woundedness. And he, and he, he makes suggestions and he says, we try this and do that and go here. And how do you know that when he went to Eve, he said, did God really say? Because the first thing the enemy has to do is he has to convince you that you need something outside of him. Oh yeah. Y'all. Can I keep preaching? Are you guys with me? Stick with me. And so none of us get through this life without disappointment, hurt, all these things. And I I was reading 
this week, I was reading Hebrew, I was meditating on this, and I was reading Hebrews chapter 4, and I want you to think about this with me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Verse 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Someone say sympathize. With our weaknesses. I want you to just, we're going to come back to that word weaknesses in just a second. But was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. Someone say amen. But I was was honing in where the Bible says that Jesus has sympathy for our weaknesses. And we know that Jesus in the incarnation experienced the fullness of the human experience, right? Right? But when you look up that word weakness, there's two Greek words. There's the word that's used here, and then there's, there's the root word. Listen to what weakness means. It, it can literally mean physically weak, right? I mean, that's like, duh, right? Physically weak. But it doesn't just mean physically weak. It also means morally weak. Or it, you could even, it could even mean emotionally weak. Here's one of the other definitions, helpless. Here's another one, unimpressive. Sick. Incapable. So, in other words, you could say this. When the Bible talks about weakness, it's talking about inherent weakness that comes with humanity. Right? In terms of hunger, thirst. Natural things, right? You can have natural weakness. What happens if you don't eat? You get weak, right? Happens if you don't drink water. After a while, you start to dehydrate it. But see, it's not just our bodies that become weak. You You can become weak mentally. You can become weak spiritually. You can become weak emotionally. And and, and you can, and so when the Bible talks about weakness, it seems to speak about it in two ways. The inherent weaknesses, but also the weakness that comes about based upon what has happened to us. So when the, when the Bible says that he sympathizes with our weakness, not only does that mean that Jesus was, how many know that Jesus was hungry and Jesus ate food? Jesus got tired and he took naps. I, I saw a thing the other day that said we need to be more like Jesus and take naps. Because Jesus was taking a nap during that storm. And I was like, I, I'll take that word right there. More naps. No, I'm just but think about this with me. Jesus got hungry. Jesus ate. Jesus got tired. Jesus slept. Jesus, his body would get physically weak. He would have to sit down. But Jesus also experienced other types of weaknesses. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus knew this this sting that happens when someone so close to you betrays you. Jesus' heart has been stung. Jesus has been lied on, talked about, beaten, literally crucified, killed in the garden of Gethsemane. I want you to picture this in the garden of Gethsemane. 
you start to really see this as Jesus is making his way to the cross. The Bible says as as he's in the garden, he becomes so anxious that he begins to sweat blood. But he never sinned. Okay, so you know what this tells me? It's not. It's not a sin to be weak. But the enemy comes after us when we're weak. And if we don't learn how to deal with weakness, that's what the enemy uses to get a foothold in our life. You see, after Jesus was baptized, I'm kind of going off my nose, but can I preach like I want to this morning? After Jesus was baptized, the Bible says he was he was led by the spirit of God to be tempted by the devil. And it says when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, right? The Bible says he was hungry. That's when the enemy showed up. He showed up when Jesus was hungry. Can I I make it plain? This is the God man. But again, remember what the Bible says. He laid aside his equality with God in terms of his, his power. He allowed himself to become fully human. So even though he was always God, never stopped being God, he had the fullness of the human experience. And so in while he's fasting, how many know that Jesus got hungry and Jesus got weak? Some of y'all look at me like I'm making it up. Sometimes I think we think, you know, that Jesus didn't use the God card at any moment. He could have been like. He could have called out angels by name and said, I need you to bring me filet mignon. I need you to bring me some garlic toast. I need you to bring me some mashed potatoes. But he did it. He humbled himself. And guess what? He was hungry and he was weak. And he actually, the Bible says he learned obedience through suffering. Which is just remarkable when you, this is the God man, learned obedience through suffering. And so while Jesus is weak, the enemy shows up and says, just turn the stones into bread. It's not a sin to be weak. You don't get through the human experience without experiencing weakness in all of its forms. But let me say this about Jesus. Consider this. Jesus was homeless. His family thought he was crazy at times. Matthew chapter 12, Mark 3, John 7. His best friends turned their back on him. One of his closest confidants sold him to be killed for pocket change. He stood face to face with the devil and endured all his demonic attacks. Luke chapter 4. He dealt with death in John chapter 11. He endured gossip and slander in Matthew chapter 12 and John chapter 8. He endured suffering for righteousness sake, John chapter 15. He was shamed publicly, Mark chapter 14. He received criticism of his ministry, pick any verse. His theology was mocked, pick any chapter. His preaching was constantly critiqued, pick anywhere. His disciples never understood what he was talking about. Over and over and over again, Jesus experienced not only weakness, the the limitations of weakness in himself, the physical and emotional weakness that comes with humanity. He was constantly in contact with it. But let me give you some some, some good news too, that God, there's there's only one type of human on this planet, and those are those of us who are weak. God used Moses 
who was a murderer, had no confidence and had a speech problem. Gideon, God showed up, uh, the angel of the Lord showed up to Gideon. Gideon is hiding. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Gideon is is hiding because he's basically a coward. And the angel says, you're a mighty man of valor. Jacob, who 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 had the the um, the weakness that, that that came from his circumstance of being labeled a heel grabber and a deceiver all of his life. Elisha got to the point where he actually became suicidal. David, uh, at several points in his life, was overlooked and abandoned and forgotten. When his when the prophet came to anoint him, his father didn't even find see him fit worthy to, to come when the prophet called for him. Job said he wished he had never been born. Hannah could not have a child. Sarah was barren. In fact, Sarah laughed at God when God said, you're going to have a child. Peter had a horrible temper and he denied Christ. Paul, the apostle, was a religious zealot who murdered in the name of God. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and a sinner. And I don't know what this brother did, but everyone knew he was a sinner because when Jesus sat down with Zacchaeus, they could not believe Jesus was was with Zacchaeus. But see the difference between all of them on this list and you and I, Jesus faced all of the weaknesses of the human experience and never sinned. You and I, have experienced this life. And then unfortunately that is actually what has sometimes led to the destructive sin patterns in our life. Can I preach right now? Can I preach? You see, because sometimes we sin just to sin. Let's be honest. We don't even need the devil's help to sin. Because we're born into this world with a sinful nature, with a sinful heart. Sometimes we sin just because we sin. Because sin is pleasurable for a moment, right? Right? But see, sometimes we're sinning just to sin, but other times you and I are sinning because we don't even realize it. We're trying to escape our reality. We have so much pain and trauma and undealt with baggage that we are turning to anything and everything. We are serving idols. We are worshiping gods. We are trying anything and everything that can give us a fix. And so sometimes it helps you when you step back because see, sometimes we judge people too harshly. Sometimes we look at people and they say, how can they possibly do that to themselves? How can they possibly do that? And we don't know that underneath all of that is not just a sin problem, but underneath all of that is layers and layers and layers and layers upon layers of pain. Can I give you an example? And I may preach five minutes over. Is that okay? Is that okay? I got to get at least 50%. Okay. Okay. Majority rules. So I'll give you a perfect example. We've all encountered this. If you've ever seen an elderly homeless man of any any color, any ethnicity on the streets of Houston with gray in his beard, gray in his hair, who's been on the streets for 20 or 30 years, there's usually typically three responses. To that type of person. Extreme compassion. Right? Indifference. Or criticism. 
Because with, within the homeless community and with the homelessness comes a lot of drug abuse, sexual abuse, and horrible things. And so some people look at that and they have compassion. Some people look at it and they're indifferent. Some people look at it and they actually become harsh. Look, they, I, how many of you have heard this before? How, how, how can they do that? They're wasting their life. They can't get it together. They can't get a job. They, they have two hands and two feet. How can they keep putting those drugs into their system? Yeah, how many of you have heard this before, this type, of, this type of language? They're sinning against God and their body. How can they keep doing this? This is just one example. But see, what, what, what many people don't see is that many times that old man with the gray in his beard that's been on the street for 25 years, for 30 years, fought in Vietnam. And he fought in one of the one of the most dangerous, hellish, and depraved situations that, that anyone has ever seen in warfare. And he saw his best friends killed. And, 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 and he, 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 he was in this jungle for months at a time. And, and at any moment, they lived in constant fear of losing his life. And, and over there, it's a, to escape relief, they, they maybe tried this drug or that drug. And they came back home and they weren't celebrated. In fact, they were ridiculed or mocked. And then, and then he came back with PTSD. Or he came back from Iraq or Afghanistan. And he had PTSD. And, and, and he had unprocessed pain and, and all the only place he could find relief was drugs. And so sometimes we look at people like that and we're, we're naive enough to think that people really choose that. What you're seeing did not happen overnight. You're seeing circumstances that the enemy crept in at every level of their life. And oh man. So when you see people. Be very careful. Be very, 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 very careful about being too harsh because some people, yeah, some people are sinning just to sin and they know better. But some people are caught in addiction. Some people are caught in sin. Some people are caught in bondage. Some people are caught in things because the enemy used pain their whole life. And what they need is an encounter with God himself. I'm almost done. You remember in Mark chapter 2. You remember in Mark chapter 2. When, when they brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. And they tore the roof off the house. How many of you remember that? And, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're, um, they're, they're letting the man down. Which I don't know if any of you have ever had to replace a roof. I'd be pretty upset. I'm just saying. Anybody been through roof replacement? Tearing a roof? Uh, anyway. These are some good people right here. These four guys or whoever they were that lowered this man down. As he's being lowered down, I want you to see something. Jesus does something unique or peculiar in this situation. It's obvious that the man needs to be healed physically, right? But Jesus doesn't immediately heal him of his his paralyzed body. Jesus in front of everyone said, son... I'm going to let it hit for a second. I'm going to say it like four or five times. Son. 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 Your sins are forgiven. Why did Jesus do that? Because in Jesus' day, if you were sick and paralyzed on the side of the road, you know what they taught people? 
Your sin did this to you. You're responsible for your para. You're responsible for your para. Or who in your family sinned? How many of you remember that story? The Jesus' disciples. Who, who did this man sin or anyone in his family? And Jesus said, neither. This has been, this is, this has been made manifest so that the Son of Man may show his glory. In other words, they actually carried the shame of their sickness because they believe they were personally responsible. And so here, 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 catch with this. This man has probably been living on the street for years with no family and no relatives feeling shame and feeling abandoned. And the first thing Jesus says to him before he heals his body, he goes to the deep parts of him and says, son, I see you. Son, I love you. Son, I forgive you. Son, this today your life is going to change. Son, from this day forward, things will never be the same. Son, what other people couldn't do for you, I will do. Son, where you have been abandoned and forgotten, I see you. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Why did he do that? Well, we all need our sins forgiven. But he especially said it to that man because that man felt responsible. And Jesus is saying, you're not personally responsible for that. This has all been caused by sin. But I've come to destroy the works of the devil. So guess what? Son... Your sins are forgiven. Guess what he does? He heals the boy so the man can be healed. I don't... I, I'm telling you, something's coming. See, we keep trying to fix ourselves. Some of us are trying to fix ourselves. And Jesus said, I got to heal you. There's something there that we've got to deal with. You have held it. You've experienced it. You've tried to cover it up. But I've got to speak to it. Because nothing else can fix this. Go ahead and stand with me. I got to be done. If I could have the, the, the uh, musicians come. And so the enemy throughout our whole life, he's constantly trying to use the things we go through to make us weak. Poverty. Destroyed families. Death spoken over us. Abuse, slander, gossip, physical harm to where, he, to where life literally beats you down to where you end up to where the Bible says weak. And, and remember, one of the definitions was unimpressive, incapable, unable. Sometimes we're weak physically, but then other times we're, we're weak emotionally and spiritually and mentally. No matter how we look on the outside, some of us are so beat down. We can't seem to get up. But I have some good news for you today. The enemy tried to exploit your weaknesses to destroy you. God is going to use your weaknesses to elevate you. David, they didn't see any value in you. So they sent you into the sheep fields to be forgotten. 
But you had to learn how to find refuge in him. There, David wouldn't be the man he was had he been raised in different circumstances. So although, listen to me, although it wasn't ideal, we get the revelation of David, the worshiper, because when in, in, in growing up, he had nobody else. Are you hearing me today? After Moses murdered that man and went out to the desert, he felt like an outcast. And when God says, you're going to be a deliverer, by that time, Moses, Moses, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life being a somebody. And then another 40 years of his life being a nobody. He told God, I can't even talk right. Did you know sometimes it's our weaknesses that actually qualify us? I didn't say sin. Hold on. I didn't say sin or unrepented sin. I said weakness. Because if you can learn how to process weakness, it can serve you whether you serve it. Because every man and woman of God that I've ever met that God uses greatly has a weakness. They have a limp, they have a wound, they have a scar, but they've allowed that thing in their life to drive them towards God, to drive them towards the mercy seat. They've allowed it to make them dependent upon him. They've allowed, it's like this paradox of this beauty and this brokenness coexisting. And, and, And so, and that's why Paul said, I'll boast in my weakness. And y'all remember when Paul said he was given a thorn in the flesh? And, 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 and God, he said, God, remove the thorn from my flesh. He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your. Now, people have debated what is Paul's thorn. Some have said it's sickness and all these other things. But someone made a really interesting point because Paul, whatever this thorn was, he referenced it as being a messenger of Satan. Some people believe it was demonic forces and, de- and people that, that, that the enemy was using in Paul's life to constantly remind him of who he used to be. Weren't you there, Paul? Didn't you hold the coat for them while they stoned Stephen? Isn't there blood on your hands? But guess what Paul said? That's why I boast in my weakness. I don't boast about what I've done, the sin I've done. I boast in my weakness because everything that you see in me, that's proof that it had to be God. It's proof that it had to be him. It's proof that God takes people who are the weakest, most disqualified. And he qualifies them because it's the people who know they're weak. It's the people who've been through things. It's the people who've been through stuff. And it's the people who are aware of that weakness. Those are the ones who once you taste the healing, once you taste the love, once you taste the, taste the grace of the Lord, they are the ones that hold on and depend upon it. And that's the very source of their life. So I want to speak this over you before I pray.
The enemy, I want to say this, the enemy has tried to use circumstances in our life. And it starts with an obsession. He wants us to obsess about everything that's been said, done. But not just said and done to us. How about this? Things that we've done to others. Is there anyone in this room like me where you've done stuff before or said things to other people or have done stuff to where you could hardly look yourself in the mirror? So whether it's been done to us or we've done it to others because we've all hurt others with our words and deeds, actions. But the enemy wants it to be an obsession. It's obsession often becomes depression. Psychologists tell us that depression a lot of times is suppressed anger and undealt with hostility. And over time, that depression actually becomes oppression. And if we don't get whole, it can actually actually lead to possession. But the good news is, he's a healer. And I got, a, I got a little rhyme for you today, okay? Instead of nursing it and rehearsing it, we ought to immerse it, curse it, disperse it, and then reverse it. It starts with confession. It starts with God. You search me and you know me. Or how about this? Some of us need to say, search me, oh God. Search me. Just recently, God showed me something about myself that I didn't deal with years ago. That has been causing me to view stuff through a certain lens. And God just recently dealt with me just the other day in prayer about it. There are things, you know, just because we've said the sinner's prayer doesn't mean that there's still not things we need to, you know, repentance means to change the way you think. So even after you're saved, you continue to repent. And so it starts with confession. It starts with God, help me release this unforgiveness. Help me to release resentment. Here's a big one. Help me to release the disappointment I'm carrying. You know how many people are walking around with disappointment? We've wanted other people to be God in our lives. Because I can tell you this, the only person that's not going to disappoint you is him. So it starts with confession. It starts with confessing what you've held on to. It starts with bringing, you see, it starts with bringing it to the light. How about this? Confessing what you've done and what you've said. Then you can immerse it in the blood of Jesus. You know what I love about the blood? You know what I love about red? When you put something under red, you can't see it no more. You got to confess it, but then you got to immerse it and put it under the blood. But then your mind is still going to play tricks on you. 
and wants you to be that person and think that way and stay that way, that's when you have to start cursing that way of thinking. You have to deliberately start speaking the opposite over you and over your life. And then you can actually start to live out the opposite of the cycles and the patterns that have held you captive for years. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Let's start with this. If there's anyone in this room who has never received the Lord and you want to, I want you to slip up your hand in person and online. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. Wash me in your blood. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Come on, let's give them a hand clap. But let me, let me pray for you before we're dismissed. Would you lift your hands with me? I wouldn't miss tonight. It's going to be so powerful. When Jesus spoke to the man in Mark chapter 2, the man heard the voice of the Lord say, son. I felt like the Lord just kind of whispered to me. Many of us, we've been prayed for. Prayer works. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Prayer works. Sometimes we get breakthrough when other people pray for us. We've been in powerful services, but do you know some things only happen when you hear it from his mouth? And God is wanting to speak to somebody this morning. Son, daughter, I see you. I've been with you through it all. And this is the season where I'm bringing you into healing. This is the season where you let go of unforgiveness, resentment, disappointment, anger, bitterness, strife. All of these things. I'll just, I'll just be bold. If you know that's you and you know there's some things you need to break off your life, would you just come run and join me here at the altar? <clears throat> and I feel a special grace this morning to pray for, to break shame off of not just what people have done to you, but what you've done to others.
alone. Let's pray. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray and then we're going to open these altars. We're just going to worship. If, the, if you need to be ministered to, if you would like prayer for anything, even if it's not what we're specifically talking about, these altars are open. But I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. And we're going to see you tonight at six. But dear Heavenly Father, come on, let's press in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your healing grace and presence that's in this room, Lord. Father, comforter, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting Father. Lord, we, were, we just release and we ask that you would activate this work of healing within our hearts, God. For in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. Where we have been weak and unable and incapable, where we have been insignificant, powerless, and unable. We come not in our strength, Lord, but in our weakness. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us, to heal us, God. Give us the grace to release forgiveness. God, give us the grace to receive forgiveness. Give us the grace to release resentment. Give us the grace to release disappointment. Give us the grace to release others from what they've done to us and what we've done to other people, God. God, for those of us who are weak in our bodies, God, who are facing sickness in their bodies, Father, I thank you for healing in this room. Lord, we call upon your name right now. Come on, just lift your hands with me. I feel his presence. I feel his presence. The Lord is going to, I feel like he is personally speaking and ministering to to so many of you right here. Lord, we invite you to do this work in us, God. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, I thank you, God, that, Father, for a season, for a day of deliverance, for a season of deliverance, God. Father, we thank you that you're not just interested in the superficial, God, but you want to go to the depths of our being and heal the, heal the roots. That's the only way to deal with the fruit is for him to heal the root. And so, Father, I bless your people today. I bless your people in Jesus' mighty name.